uh, Skullboys. The Street Press Podcast with Sean Fraser. For a start, there are not enough white men doing podcasts. I've got to always support that when that comes along. I was talking to a mate today at a baby queue. We didn't cook a baby. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that yeah. was. I just want to thank you. Yeah, no, it was me. He wouldn't shake our hand until he finished putting on his glove. Imagine what he's like during the pandemic. <laughs> well, I got you here for the podcast after your big night last oh. night, so I'm stoked with that. I get a thrill knowing that you're doing what you're doing. That's good. Well, I don't know what I'm doing today. We're just sort of just winging it. Did you moon Kylie Minogue? Yeah. Hello and welcome to the Street Press Podcast. My name is Sean Fraser. I hope you are having an absolute cracker of a week. Here we are, another episode number 72. If it's your first time here, this is all about the music industry. We bring on artists, we bring on uh, band managers, we bring on people from record labels, anything about the music industry from anywhere in the world, we bring them on and we just chat. It's just a general chat. Today's episode, we got Kevin Mitchell. He is the lead singer and songwriter of Australian band that originally from Perth called Jebediah. They've been pumping hits out in all sorts of decades. It was the 90s when they began. In the 2000s, they had an absolute cracker as well, and uh, they're still going. And they are rocking stages left, right, and centre. I just saw them recently at the Good Things Festival, and they were one of the better bands that played on the day. we got Kevin on. He's also in a side project, and I feel bad saying side project because this thing, Bob Evans, I mean, it's not just a side project. It's one Aria's. And he's had plenty of hit singles, just as Bob Evans. But we talk about both in this podcast. We also talk about festival life, what it's like on the road. We talk about the Big Day Out. They actually played in – well, they played a bunch of Big Day Outs. But uh, the most memorable for me was the Sydney Big Day Out in 2000. I remember Blink-182 played and then Jebediah jumped on after them and they played to one of the biggest crowds that you'll see. Uh, I don't even know if those crowd sizes are legal anymore in Australia, but you'll find it on YouTube, and that's where I watched it back in the day. I was probably a little too young to be at the Sydney Big Doubt in 2000. Uh, we also talk about the doll in this and how the doll played a big part in Jebediah <laughs> becoming what they are today. And no, they didn't rig the system, but it sort of helped them on the way up. We also talk about the new record that's coming out in April. It's been 10 years since Jebediah dropped a new record. So they've got two singles out at the moment. One of them gives me a little hint of Beatles flavor. Uh, The other one that's already out, and I'm sure if you're a Jebediah fan, you've already listened to it, gums up the bearings. And I also just want to give a shout out right now. This is to Lee Elphick, who listens to the Street Press podcast. At the end of each episode, I sort of do a shout out and I say, hey, who do you want me to have on? Who do you want me to interview? Who do you want me to speak to? And Lee Elphick wrote a number of weeks ago that he would like to hear Kev Mitchell from Jebediah. I have this rule that if you request someone on the podcast, I have to send an email at least off to try and get that person on. And Kev was just keen to jump on. So, Lee, thanks so much for the suggestion of getting Kev on. And without further ado, this is Kev Mitchell, the lead singer of Jebediah, also known as Bob Evans. You're hanging out at the beach. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, I thought it would be a little bit more inspiring than the real background, which is, um, you know, it's my garage. See, I, I haven't really, I haven't really sort of got myself set up very good for um, visuals because, like, 
the the wall that the camera's facing behind me is is like the worst wall in the whole studio in my whole garage like yeah. you know it's just it's just shelving and um and like bags full of like all the christmas decorations that just came down yesterday and like kids toys that don't get used anymore and it's um yeah it's pretty gross so the beach it is beach it is yeah which is you know funnily enough i only the, the beach is only about 500 meters that way but um i, I won't be getting there today so no, what's, okay, yeah, what's what's the weather like there? Because I've just driven along the freeway from Sydney. I'm about 40 minutes north of Sydney, and it's okay. just chaos. There's, like, flooding and... Um, oh, shit, really? There was crashes all the way up, and I'm like, I've got to get there to get this interview done. Ah, oh, shit. I risked my life, but um, we're here. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's actually, today would actually be a really good day to go down to the beach, but I'm just, I'm locked into, like, um, this is actually, like, this little sort of half hour break from my day, which it's like a full day of uh, I, my oldest daughter's just got, we've just bought her a new bed. She starts high school this year and she's decided, no, I want a grown up bed. So this, she had this bunk bed that she's had for 10 years. I've just dismantled that this morning. And then we had to move all this stuff out of it and like a couch out of the spare room. To, I've got to put that bed back together in the spare room and then build her new bed in oh. her room. So it's a full day. It's a full yeah. day's work. So um so yeah, I'm just sort of in between in between those jobs. How do you go with those sorts of jobs? Do you like getting the tools out from time to time and doing that sort of stuff or is it a pain in the ass? Oh, it's both. I mean, <laughs> it, it is a pain in the ass, but I'm much better at it now than I was a long time ago. It's definitely one of those things that, you know, the more you do it, um, the better you get at it. So yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't really I wasn't really sort of brought up or taught anything about um tools or making things yeah. had to really sort of learn it as i go but um but no i mean i can you know flat packs don't scare me flat packs don't frighten me uh, uh during um covid actually during all the lockdowns because i'm in melbourne you know just out of melbourne obviously so spent many many months in lockdown over the last few years and um totally got into did a lot of um pretty average home renovating during that time <laughs> made a lot of mistakes learned a lot from making mistakes it's good though. It was a good time to get stuck into that sort of stuff, hey, because there wasn't much else we could do. Yeah, well, that's it. Yeah, I was, you know, actively looking for stuff to do. And I didn't find that period of time very inspiring creatively at all. I know some people wrote albums and stuff. Yeah, yeah some people were really kind of I just made a solo record when it all kicked off. So um there was a feeling of like anything that I sort of created then, there was just gonna be years and years before I would be able to do anything with it anyway i don't know i guess i just yeah i just felt a little bit deflated by it all and how long before the pandemic did you make that release because i know a lot of people i've spoken to on this podcast they were the same very deflated at the fact that they you know worked their asses off for something released it and then all of a sudden couldn't do anything with it yeah yeah i mean in a way i guess i was you know i guess after a while i started to kind of look at it more positively because yeah i finished in the studio and then two weeks after i'd finished in the studio we went into lockdown mm. so you know after a while i realized that i was actually really lucky because i'd, I'd managed to finish the record before all of that happened you know that, by just a couple of weeks so i just snuck in there otherwise if i hadn't finished the album i wouldn't have been able to make it would have been so long before i would have been able to get into a studio again yeah. so I, I still had to like mix it and master there's still a lot of work to do so it gave me heaps of time I had the luxury of, of almost limitless time to work on artwork and videos and 
mastering and just all those little things that sometimes you, when you're working to quite in in the past, I've always been used to working to quite tight deadlines with that kind of stuff, you know, um, and also used to kind of hitting the deadline and going, okay, well, we've hit the deadline, so this is it. This this is, it is what it is now. Yeah, you can't change it from there. You yeah. can't change it. But this time around, the, you know, there were no deadlines. I just had so much time. So I think it actually helped, you know, in that, in that regard, when it did come to releasing stuff and putting stuff out, I was really prepared, had everything ready to go. Everything was exactly how I wanted it to be. So I think the end product was probably better for it in the end. Yeah, absolutely. I caught you guys in action at uh, Good Things Festival in December. And uh, there was two things I was thinking while I was there watching this. I was thinking... How old are these guns? <laughs> <laughs> no, you guys look pretty good for uh, you guys look great. Um, but I was thinking, how many festivals are these guys played at? Because I I just remember like big day out two thousand. Like I mean, you guys have been doing the festival scene for a long time. And the other thing that I, I noticed when I was watching you guys was uh, I bumped into a mate in his fifties. I bumped into a girl I know in her thirties. I bumped, you know, like I feel yeah. like. There's so many people come and see you from all different sort of age brackets. And I just think that it's such a cool, cool thing. Does that sort of blow you away, that sort of thing? Of course it does. I mean, you know, most most of it blows me away. Um, I think a lot of that is just a byproduct or a consequence of just being around for as long as we have. I mean, you, if you compare now to when we first started, you know, over the first few years of the band, I remember, you know, our audience was, it was a very narrow kind of uh, demographic. I mean, when we first started, we were, well, most of us were teenagers still ourselves. And we sort of had a, a kind of quite a big all ages following before we had a an overages following in those first that first year or two. And so it was very much like we were playing to our peers, you know, like every, everyone in the audience kind of, you know, was about around about our age and there weren't really many people over the age of the early 20s at all, yeah, right? Yeah. So everyone was pretty much like between the age of 16 and, you know, early 20s or something. But, I mean, you know, when you've stuck around for as long as we have, um, you know, you have that audience that kind of kind of follows you and grows with you. And so, you know, all those people from the beginning that have hung around, you know, they're all sort of our age now, which is sort of in, you know, mid-40s to but then what, you know, what I've noticed happening, and this is really a bit more recent, you go through these sort of waves. Like I think when Kosciuszko came out, which was over 10 years ago now, the last year that I record, when that came out, like we had this new sort of audience of people who maybe got into the band during the time when we were sort of on hiatus, as we called it, um, or in between records and maybe hadn't seen us before. And now we're sort of getting to that age too where a lot of our fans have got kids who are who are teenagers. People are coming, bringing their kids to gigs and stuff. I'm blown away that we still have an audience at all. I'm blown away that after all these years, we can still play a festival like that and lots of people turn up to watch. And I'm just so grateful that that we still have the opportunity to do it, you know. Early days, Jeb and I weren't a band that was sort of just slapped together and let's try and get these boys famous, boys and girls famous like um like record labels can do, you guys really worked so hard. And I think you guys got noticed early on just because simply because you were bringing big crowds, right? We, in Perth, when we first started, we did, our audience grew pretty quickly, but we played all the time because that's that was just how we figured that's how it worked. I mean, like before starting the band or during the sort of time of the band starting out, you know, we were all all ages, um, 
punters ourselves and we used to go and watch like UMI and Magic Dirt or Tumbleweed mm. when you know whenever they would tour and and so that was how we learned what what being in a band was by watching what those bands did and really all we just go well okay well if we want to be in a band if we want if we want to have fun and do this band thing then um that's how you do it you play as much as possible and you hit the road and you play gigs i mean we never even used to think about you know i never used to have like fantasies about going to the studio you know i guess like some people are like fantasize about making a record about going to the studio for the first time None of that really interested me that much. I mean, I loved listening to records and stuff. Was it all about playing live? It's all about live, man. Yeah, it was like yeah. I wanted to be in a band because I loved going to gigs and watching bands perform. I loved that live scene, and I wanted would watch bands. And I go, I want to do that. You know, um, that's what it was all about. It was all about playing gigs. Um, that was what being in a band meant to us. And the idea of going to the studio and recording songs, that really only came along later, you know, and, and it came along when record companies started showing interest in everything. It's like, oh, well, obviously that's the, the whole point of signing a record deal is to make a record. So, but really, and that sort of stuff, it, it, it for the first year of the band, it just, I don't recall it ever really entering my mind that much about yeah, recording music, and it took a long time to kind of figure out how to make records. I've heard you talk about those early days, and there was one thing that I heard you you say. I think you were on the dole very early on, and you. Mm. Were, one of the things you said was that back then you could actually live off it, right, and yeah. and be creative. That helped all of you. Got Gyroscope has a very similar story as well. Mm. That's an amazing story. What you're on two hundred dollars a week, you're paying forty dollars rent. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure if it was. Was it two, yeah, I was definitely paying forty dollars a week in my first share house for my room, but yeah, you know, it was it was incredible that I was on the dole for about a year. The other guys were for, as well for that period of time. What the dole provided for for me and for our band was it gave us twelve months to of just very basic financial support so that we could pay our rent and put food on the table while we set up this thing, set up what was essentially a business. I mean, you know, yeah. obviously it didn't feel like that at the time, but um, <laughs> but we were building this thing together. And, and yeah, I, I just feel like I don't think necessarily that was what the doll was, was created for specifically, but I think it's a really great example of, of an idea of like how social welfare can be used for so many different purposes, not just like to help people when they are unemployed, mm. but to help people start a business, to help people invest in a creative pursuit that, you know, it takes time to build build stuff up and to for it to reach a point where it can start to um, generate, you know, an income that can, and it can start to support itself. I mean, it took a long, long time before we ever started making any proper money. But, um, but yeah, being on the doll for those 12 months gave us that, ability um to do that and um it was very very effective and useful and um you know it's a shame that yeah we live in a world now where i, I that kind of thing i i'm assuming is just impossible i mean and the first record that is you know record you guys did so well off that first one you know <laughs> and, and and to think the struggles that you're going through you must, it must have been such a relief it wasn't really because i didn't feel like i was struggling i was having the time of my life I mean, you know, I had no no money and or anything, but I was having a ball because I was 
making, I was in a band with my best friends and the momentum was just growing all the time. And there was so much kind of excitement and forward momentum keeping us going. I didn't need anything else. You know, I, I was having a great time. So when the record came out and, you know, it, it, it charted in the top 10 and everything, I mean, that just, that was a, a little bit mind blowing, I suppose, because we just, we didn't have those kind of high expectations for the record. And, you know, there's also another story that's been told about how, you know, when, when we were, we might've been at the stage of mixing slightly odd way. And uh, John O'Donnell, our A&R guy from the record company was hanging out with us. He said to us, oh, you know, I think we might have a gold record on our hands. Wow. And we all laughed. We all broke <laughs> out in, in hysterics, just going, oh, well, good luck. You know, just the idea of a gold album, it just all seemed way too unattainable. And and like I said before, it wasn't really things that we were thinking about. Never really thought about, you know, gold records and all that kind of stuff. I thought about like being on stage for getting on the big day out. That was like yeah. way more that was that was way more of a dream to me than like selling a hundred thousand records. Far out. And I tell you what, and I, I hate to be the one that's always like, oh, the good old days, but geez, you came up at such a such a great time for Australian music. Like when I was looking at that uh the big day out. You know, vision. It was so cool to just watch that again. You were playing it. It seemed like you were playing in front of forty, fifty thousand people. It just blow, must have blown your your mind. It was more. I can remember Sydney. Yeah, the, that's the which one. I think the one you're talking about. Yeah, so the two thousand Sydney big day. We we'd done their big day out the full tour the year before as well in '99, but in two thousand we had a we were on the main stage again, but playing a little bit later. You know, like about four or five in the afternoon. So it was a pretty good slot. I don't really remember that much about the gig. It was all kind of a blur. But I do remember after the gig, you know, later on in the night, we went back to the hotel to shower and freshen up before going to the after party or whatever. And Channel V was was on at the time. And, and we put on Channel V and they were playing back our set that we just played. And that was when I was like, that was when it hit me. That yeah. was when, like, you could see what you've done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because when you're in the middle of it, yeah, you've got no perspective on it. Mm. So it's very, very, you know, for me, for us on stage, it was like, yeah, it was a big crowd, but we, it was, it was kind of, we were just playing a, a gig. We knew it was special, but we were just out there doing what we always did. The idea of playing the big day out was kind of like, that was like. Our Olympic Games. <laughs> I was going to say, it's like, it's so validating, right? Um, you know, bands can get on a festival, they can open the festival and no one's there or something, but you guys are playing at a good time. The crowd is involved. The crowd is loving it. There's stacks of people there. You must sort of look at that moment and go, oh, I suppose we're pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I definitely looked at that moment and got up and thought, well, you know, there's a lot of people there. Um uh, and probably a part of me thinking, geez, I wish we were a bit better. That was actually my favourite um, big day out too. That uh, I think Blink One Eighty Two were there, and uh... we went on directly after Blink One Eighty Two. Right, right, crazy, so... right? Because you know, I can. I, I used to go. I bought Blink One Eighty Two records. I remember going as an all age kid, going to see <laughs> them play for the first time in Fremantle, and when they were supporting Pennywise. Yeah, and and to be going on after a band like that. Uh, I mean, it was yeah, they're like that. That was pretty. That was pretty wild. Do you get to hang out with many of the bands at the big day out? Is it is it a big hangout fest, or or do you just go back to your um your trailers and sort of chill out? 
Oh, it's definitely a hangout fest. I mean, we always really, we probably, we mostly hung out with the Australian bands, to be honest. Like, didn't really ever form. I mean, we met a lot. I briefly met the Blink-182 guys. And and so you would meet, you know, whenever I did that tour, you know, lucky enough to have done it a few you times. You did it a few times, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I've done it once as Bob Evans as well, yeah, years wow. later. And so you do have the opportunity to meet uh, people that you that you know that you look up to or that you're a fan of and that's heap you know and that's great fun but in the space of those few years we shared the big day out touring experience with pretty much every australian band that we ever loved you know mm. like body jar was another one she yeah, had awesome. heaps of fun grinspoon so yeah got lots of really um you know just really fun memories of of hanging out with a lot of those guys You've got this ability, whether, uh, well, I'm sure you, you, you'd enjoy it, but you've got an ability that a lot of people don't have, and that's to be able to write a hit. And I know that you've spoken about, you don't even know if you've written, you've written a hit. You're just sort of, you're just writing songs, you know, getting them together and hoping you've got your best work in front of you, I suppose. But, you know, she's like a comet, such a great tune that came out, obviously, later. Um, yeah. Don't you think it's time with you, Bob Evans? Tell me about when you're sitting there, and you're writing these songs, is it truly that way? You don't know if it's going to go anywhere, if it's even going to see the light of day, or did you ever know that you've got the magic in the bottle? Um, there have been lots of times where I've written a song and thought this is really, really good um, and I can see the potential for it. It doesn't always work out that way. I mean... Sometimes songs end up becoming more successful than you imagine. Sometimes a song that you think is totally has the potential to to do heaps that doesn't do that much at all or anything. Um, so I'm not. I guess the only thing I can say is that you know, from from a very right from the start, I found that like if if I wrote something and if it was if it, it excited me then generally I found that it would excite other people as well. Okay. So from a very early stage, it was reinforced in my brain that my instincts for that stuff were were reliable. You know, like the excitement that I felt from a new song seemed to most of the time translate very quickly to other people and other people would respond to it. So that sort of reinforced my mind very quickly that, you know, that my intuition to that for that sort of stuff was good. I was a kid who listened to the radio all the time. I've always really loved pop music. I've, I've always loved melody. It's been very difficult for me to, to ever really kind of get into music that doesn't have a strong melodic kind of quality. It's just, it's just what I like. Did Bob Evans naturally happen because you were writing so many songs? How did it come about? I mean, you're in this kick-ass band that's doing really well. The first Bob Evans gig I did was in 1998, I think. So it was kind of, I started doing it sort of quietly, just around about the time where Jeb and I were really starting to take off. I think my, from what I can remember, my motivations were I was writing a lot of songs on my own on acoustic guitar which is really what I had been doing when I first started to learn how to write songs for, for a good sort of five years before the Je before Jeb and I started. I was just, you know, writing songs on my acoustic guitar in my bedroom. So technically my you were house. Bob Evans first. <laughs> well, I guess, you know, I think that's kind of where I'm going is that yeah. like, 
that maybe Bob Evans was kind of me just reconnecting with that or reconnecting with this thing that I'd always done. And then Jebediah kind of took over and and got really swept away with all of that. And But obviously there was still a part of me that still loved just, um, you know, quiet kind of acoustic songs. And so I just started playing little gigs and called myself Bob Evans so that nobody would make the connection with Jebediah. And I was doing that for five years before I felt like maybe I could make a record. There you go. The Bob Evans story. Um, Jebediah's got... uh... A record coming out. Yes. We've already got a few singles out at the moment. Yeah. Uh, I think Rubber Man. It's a bit, it's a bit different. And I, and I really <laughs> like it. It's really cool. I think the first uh, single you released, it's very much like, you know, a rock sort of song. Yeah. But this, uh, this latest one, I think it was in November, Rubber Man came out. Yeah. yeah it's got a Beatles-esque feel to it. It's, it, what's the record going to be like? It's really, really varied. And, and I think, um, yeah, the first one we put out was called Come Up With The Bearings, which Yes. It's probably out of all the songs on the record, probably the most Jebediah sounding song, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and then Rubber Man is probably the, you know, the other extreme. So uh, you know, we felt like putting out those two songs first would give people, I guess, an idea of the sort of breadth of of it. It's definitely the most sort of experimental record that we've made, which isn't to say, you know, when I say experimental, isn't to say that it's inaccessible. But for Jebediah, in the Jebediah world, it's um, it's yeah, by far the most kind of experimental that we've been in the studio, and um, yeah, I think hopefully Rubber Man kind of gives an indication of that. After all these years, and after after it's been ten years since the last record, and the band's been together for such a long time, like to put out another record now that was just offering the same kind of thing that we'd done before, I think, oh, what would be the point? You know, I mean. So I feel like if we're going to make new music, it's got to offer something new. It's got to offer something different. Um, and I think that's what I like the most about the record. We're, we're making music for the same reason that we made music in, when we first started. That's great. It's for no other reason. It was because it's fun and it's, you know, and we enjoy hanging out with each other. Well, I cannot wait for the album. It's out in April, I believe. April 12th, yep. April 12th. It's going to be a cracker. Uh, and what about Bob? Yeah, I'm just sort of demoing stuff at the moment. Um, so, yeah, I'd like to um, think that I might have another record ready to go um, once this Jebediah one's all wrapped up. Brilliant. All right, I'll leave you with this one. I was talking to the guys from The Mark of Cain, and obviously Kim's, Kim's you know, the, their brother's in the band. Yeah. Um, how do you go being in a band with your brother? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's... Um, it's you know a bit sickly to but um you know given that there's a there's a there's a you know i guess a, a famous kind of history of brothers in bands and 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 being tumultuous and but i've really enjoyed being in a band with my older brother i think we don't really have personalities that are we don't have combative kind of personalities to start with and we didn't grow up you know competitively you know i mean there's there's a lot of things about being in a band that can be can be difficult, you know, like touring for long periods of time. We're just going through the experience of being in a band, being in a, a touring band. It can throw up a lot of stuff. Um, that can be quite a challenge, you know. You just don't fight. We've very rarely. Yeah. yeah. No, I, on the contrary, I found him to be a, a great support on the road. 
just having a family member, having a brother. Yeah, I suppose it's comforting, isn't it? There's a real comfort to that. And, as you know, it's like you've always got that link to home, to family, wherever you go, and you've always got someone there who knows you better than anybody else in the world. And having that on the road, I think I've, I've really, I've, I think it's, it's really helped, you know, it's helped make, make some of the more difficult times a lot easier. Yeah. And he's got to have you back now, even if you're in the wrong, right? <laughs> well, that's the thing, you know, about brothers, it's like, you know, you can bag them out or say things about them, but <laughs> if anybody else bags them out, or you're yeah, the first yeah. one that's just like, Hey, you know, you're the first one to kind of come to their defense. So that that's kind of, the brotherly kind of uh, relationship that we have. There you go. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for jumping on the Street Press podcast Thanks, today. Thanks, Sean. Uh, Cheers. We uh, we covered a lot of ground and uh, all the best with the release of the new record. It's going to be awesome. I'm really, really keen to listen to it. Uh, Thanks, man. And I'm sure a lot of the Jebediah fans are as well. Hope so. All right, I'm going to go build a bed. Yeah, good on you, man. <laughs> See you, mate. <laughs> Yes, so there he is. He's off to go and make a bed. Good on you, Kev. Thanks so much for jumping on the Street Press podcast. Keen to hear this album, though, when it drops in April. Go and check him out. Go to jebediah.com.au if you want to go and check out their gear, or you can just uh, find him on Spotify. All right, it's time for this. Yes, this is the part of the show where you can write on in. Go to the streetpresspodcast.com forward slash letters. You write it, I may read it out. This one is uh, a little different this week. Uh, this is a bit of a dobbin. So I work with a girl named Kate. She was telling me one of her friends, Denny from the Blue Mountains, he's uh, he's out there listening at the moment apparently. And he's, and I said, I'd like to say a shout out to Denny. I did meet you, Dan, um, at Fingal Bay once. We were on holidays and we ran into each other. But I'm glad to hear that you are listening to the uh, to the street press all the way out there in the mountains. Love the mountains, especially in the wintertime. Kate says, a lot of the artists that you've heard come on the podcast are ones that you love and grew up with. And that, uh, she put this in brackets. She said, he said to me, it's probably my favourite podcast. That's so sweet. <laughs> I don't know if it's true. It's all hearsay. Well, thank you, Danny from the Blue Mountains, for listening. And thank you, Cato, for uh, dobbing him in. That's great. Don't forget, if you want to write a letter, go to thestreetpresspodcast.com forward slash letters. You can click the link in the show notes right now. Hey, as for my band, the Ritzy Kids, we are playing a gig on the 26th of this month. Uh, that's Friday week just outside Central Coast Stadium. We're on at 5.20 in the afternoon or night, whatever you want to call it at that time. We're doing a 40-minute set. We're playing with a bunch of bands. It's like a bit of a festival on that day. If you want to get involved, it's free entry. So if you want to come and check out the Ritzy Kids, uh, a lot of the songs actually that play in between, well, all of the songs that get played on this podcast in between segments, that's the Ritzy Kids. You're actually listening to them in the podcast, whether you knew that or not. Um, you're probably someone who's known that from the start and you're just thinking, why are you needing to even mention that? But you never know. We could have a new listener. We could have someone else in here. Hey, I think that's enough for this week's episode. Don't forget, if you want to support the podcast, you can do so for as little as $4 a month. You can become a member. We've got a couple of exclusives up on the website right now. So uh, do that if you want to. If not, I want you back here next week. Get your ears in some headphones, a 
around a speaker. Get listening to the next episode of the Street Press Podcast. I hope you have a great week. Until then, ta-da. Ta-da.